If you have a Bible, if you turn to Numbers 13, and we'll go before the Lord with the word of prayer. Father, we just ask you to look down on us here in Shelbyville Christian Assembly tonight, and I just ask that you'll open all of our hearts and our minds to your word, and that it'll bring uh, edification and cause us to, to walk closer to you and increase our faith and to see your faithfulness, and I just thank you that you'll do that, that you'll be here with us and speak to us all. And that the authorities in your word, and by that, you'll teach us to walk closer to you and with you. And we thank you for doing that in Jesus' name. So before we get reading here in Numbers 13, I mean, how many of y'all, I did, played King of the Mountain when you were young? Probably not too many girls. Maybe some of the girls might have been the best at it. I don't know. But, uh, you know, as, as a boy, you'd play King of the Mountain, and there'd be a lot of construction going on where we lived. And you go out there and find a big old dirt pile and... You know, everybody's trying to see who can get up the top, and it generally is the biggest, meanest kids up there and starts throwing everybody else down. So the rest of you, what we do, we try to find plans on how we're going to get him off of there, and none of it would work. <laughs> and he would just end up taunting us, right? So what we do then? we just go find something that we could do since we couldn't get the mountain, and that'd be kick the can. <laughs> you know, it came like that. But I think... What I want to get to is that that describes a lot of us spiritually today. So, you know, we want to get to the top of the mountain. We want to be up there living as God wants. But there's a bully that's standing on the top that just keeps throwing us down a lot of times, doesn't he? Sometimes in defeat. And we, kept, we keep trying sometimes. And sometimes we just get frustrated in our attempts, don't we? And sometimes we tend to just say, well, we'll just kick the can somewhere rather than keep trying all these vain attempts. But I want to look tonight at someone in the Bible who was able to take and conquer his mountain. He was able to do that. And unlike us, you know, we weren't strong enough or smart enough to defeat our foe. But he was able to take his mountain, not because he was strong enough or smart enough, but because he did it in the grace and strength of the Lord. And that's what we need. So every, everybody, though, is a candidate in this room to be able to take the, the mountains that God has put before us. And everybody has their mountain. It's a little different. But he'll do that for us. So we look here in Numbers 23. Now, this is a fairly familiar story. And we read in verses 1 and 2, it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Send thou men, that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel, of every tribe of their fathers shall you send a man, every one a ruler or a prince among them. So Israel has been delivered by God from Egypt, and they've come up to the southern border of Canaan. So they're in Kadesh Barnea, Barnea in the wilderness of Paran. And the Lord commands Moses, you take a prince, a leader of every tribe of Israel and select them, and we're going to send them as spies into the land of Canaan. So they're representative of all the different tribes. And what did he want them to check out? So we go through verses 3 through 16. It just names who all these princes are, which we aren't going to read. But beginning in verse 17, he tells the spies, here's what he wants them to check out in that land. And in verse 17, it reads, And Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan, and said unto them, Get ye up this way northward, or southward, and go up into the mountain, and see the land, what it is, and the people that dwell therein, whether they be strong or weak, few or many, and what the land is that they dwell in, whether it is good or bad, and what cities they be that dwell in, whether in tents or in strongholds, and what the land is, whether it be fat or lean, 
whether there be wood therein or not, and be you of good courage, and bring of the fruit of the land. And now the time, now was the time of the first grapes. So he's saying, I want you to go up there and check some things out. I want you to check these people out and bring back a report. Tell me whether the people are strong or weak. And look at where they're living. And tell me whether they're dwellings. Are they good dwellings or are they just shacks? Are they bad dwellings? Or is there few of them or are there many of them is what he asked them to do. And look at the land. Is it a fat land or does it look like a land that's just had a major drought? Is it lean is what he asked them. Is it woods or is it desert? is what he asked him to look at. And then he says, bring back the fruit. So this is late July at the time they're going up there, and it's the time of the grape harvest. So they are at their peak. And we know from the story it took two of them to bring back one cluster on a stick to carry it, right? So we read in verse 25, go down to verse 25, and it says, they returned from searching of the land after 40 days. So they were gone 40 days, and if you see their journey, it basically went from the very south point of Canaan all the way about as far north as you could go, way past Tyre and Sidon, way past the Sea of Galilee. So they're gone 40 days. They walked 500 miles round trip, 250 miles one way and back is what they went. And what did they show the people first? So we read verse 25. Look in verses 26 and 27. It says, and they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation, this is after they've come back, and to all the congregation of the children of Israel under the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh and brought back word unto them and to all the congregation. And they showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them, we have come into the land whither thou sinnest, and surely it flows with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. And so they're showing them all the lush fruit of the land. Grapes, figs, pomegranates. And I guarantee you those people of Israel were excited because we know they weren't real thrilled with eating manna. And now they got some variety. They got a little color. And so they're all excited, right? But look what happens here in verses 28 and 29. It says, nevertheless, their, their report goes on. It didn't stop there. Well, yeah. It's a land flowing with milk and honey, but nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. I'll tell you, so... That nevertheless is a very strong word of opposition in the Hebrew. They're like, yeah, it's a land flowing with milk and honey, but I'm going to tell you what. It's, it's not quite that great. Nevertheless, it's a strong word of opposition. And it's implying by that word that God did not tell them all the truth about what they were going to find up there, only the good things. And so let me ask you, was God trying to deceive the people by what he told them and, and sending them up there? Was he setting them up, which is what they go on to imply? Was he setting them up for destruction? You know, was he like one of these people when the world, I got to watch what I say here. So the world goes out on Halloween and there's some people out there that will give them apples and it looks good, but really there's razor blades in there. Is that what God is doing to Israel here? 
saying, oh, yeah, it's a good land, but wait, there's something. There's a razor blade in that land. It's going to slice you up. That's what they're accusing him of here. That nevertheless is strong. And so let's answer that question. Did God not tell them what they would find in all respects before they got there and what he would do for them? So if you could put something there in Numbers 13 and turn back to Exodus 23, I think this is worth looking at. Exodus 23, as I say, God told them exactly who would be there and exactly what he would do for these people. So Exodus 23, beginning in verse 20, it says this, Behold, God says, I send an angel before thee to keep thee in the way to bring thee into the place which I have prepared. He says, Beware of him and obey his voice. Provoke him not, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. And we know he's talking about the pre-incarnate Christ there. He says, But if thou shalt indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy unto thine enemies and an adversary unto thine adversaries. For mine angel shall go before you and bring you in. And here he tells them who's there. The Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. And God says... I will cut them off, but you shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do after their works, but you shall utterly overthrow them and quite break down their images. And you shall serve the Lord your God. And guess what he says to him here? This is a good thing for us to realize. And he shall bless thy bread and thy water. And what does he say? I will take sickness away from the midst of thee because he's with them. And there shall nothing cast their young, nor be barren in the land. The number of thy days I will fulfill. He goes on to say, I will send my fear before you, and I will destroy all the people to whom you shall come. God is telling them that. I will make all thine enemies turn their back unto thee, and I will send hornets before thee, which shall drive out the Hivite, the Canaanite, the Hittite from before thee. I will not drive them out before thee in one year, lest the land become desolate, and the beasts of the field multiply against thee. By little and little I will drive them out from before thee, and you will be increased and inherit the land. I will set thy bounds from the Red Sea even unto the Sea of the Philistines and from the desert unto the river. What does he say here? He's promised them this many times with what we've just read. I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand. God says, I will do it. It'll be in your hand, but I will be the one doing that. Is he pretty clearly told him? I think so. And you shall drive them out before thee. You will make no covenant with them nor with their gods. Thou shalt not dwell in the land lest they make thee sin against thee. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare unto them. So wouldn't you say God had clearly, despite what these spies said, told them who would be there, but also told them clearly what he would do for them? Right? It's, it shouldn't have been a surprise. Why the evil report? And this got them upset. This report has got the people worked up. So worked up that it's getting hard to get them to be quiet. They are murmuring. They're like, man, we didn't know it was going to be like this. I guess they thought they were just going to walk all up in there and no one would be there. (laughs) Because look what it says in verse 30. And Caleb, he had to still the people before Moses. And he said, let us go up at once and possess it. For we are well able to overcome it. And so listen, 
Caleb, <laughs> he believed what God said, didn't he? But here's the thing. It is not a blind faith. God does not ask us to have a blind faith, does he? Because we just read that account in Exodus, and I'm saying it is six times in Exodus and Leviticus, God clearly tells them, I will take you in and I will give you the land. And so Joshua is just foolish enough to believe what God said. And so he tells them, he says, let us go up at once. And I don't hate to get technical with language, but that is an emphatic construction. It's, in the Hebrew, it's given a sense of certainty and immediacy. You know, it's going to happen. And let us not, let's go up at once. God's given it to us. <laughs> and that's what he's doing. He's saying we should all, by all means, go up and possess this land. And not, he's not saying that because he's confident in his own abilities, is he? Because look what he says, let's go up at once and possess it, for we are well able. And that word means we are fully able. But why is he saying that? Because he thinks he's a great warrior, these people are somehow... No, he's saying that because he knows that God will be with them, his angel... And God will do it, not confident in his own abilities, but in God's promise to what? What did he promise him through? He says, I will be with you. And listen, that's what we need to know when we're in trials, isn't it? That, for me, that's the thing. If I know God's with me, things can get really bad and really dark. But if I know he's with me and not against me, then we can make it through, can't we? And so here's one thing we need to remember, that faith is confidence in God and his power and his presence. It's not in our faith. We don't need to look and see how much faith do we feel like we have. That's wrong, isn't it? We need to look at the God we serve, God Almighty, and he's promised to be with us and help us. So our faith needs to be in him. We're not the ones doing this. We don't have it in and of ourselves to heal ourselves or bless ourselves or overcome sin. We literally have nothing but God Almighty says, I'll give you everything you need. And our faith needs to be in that. That is what faith is. Right? It's not looking at yourself and saying, well, man, do I, have a fee do I feel like I can overcome this trial? You probably don't. Man, a lot of times I don't. I don't feel like I can do anything. But I'm just looking to the Lord and saying, I, I'm lifting my hand, Lord. Take it. I'm trusting you. That's what faith is. And so Caleb is, he's saying, hey, you guys need to be quiet here. We are well able, not because of us, but God will be with us. And he's encouraging them. We can overcome. And then look what happens, though, in verses 31 to 33. But the men that went up with him, the spies, the other ones, the other ten, they said, we be not, whoa, not able to go up against the people. And what's their reasoning? For they are stronger than we. Did God never say they wouldn't be? I mean, where's the testimony that you're going to, you know, step on somebody smaller than you? How is that a testimony to God's power? And it says they brought up an evil report. That actually means a false report. So what they're, what they're going to say, it's not true. And they're upsetting the people, and we'll see. God judges that. And they brought up a false or evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, the land through which we have gone to search it. It is a land that eats up the inhabitants thereof. And all, they say, all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And that's a lie. And there we saw giants, the sons of Anak, which came 
of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sights. And so they, they're speaking just the opposite of what faith does, isn't it? They are looking at themselves and their own power and their ability, and they say, we are not able. And I would say, no kidding. Well, I'm not able either, and neither are you. And they call these the, the children of Anak. Here's the deal. They, they are grossly exaggerating what they saw. So we know the children of Anak, they were tall people. I don't know that they were necessarily strong. They were not giants, though. Because that word giants is the Nephilim, and that is who was roaming the earth in the days of Genesis 6. And so they're putting this fear, they're saying, remember those people we've heard about back in Genesis 6, these giants, they're there waiting on us. And they, it's really just the children of Anak, and they make it out to be, it's everybody in that land. It's not everybody in that land. Those other groups weren't tall. <laughs> it's just a gross exaggeration. They're painting a false picture of giants everywhere, huge walled cities, and the, the land would eat them up. And so they're saying, hey, we were like grasshoppers in their sight. Well, now, here in America, I don't know, you guys eat grasshoppers? I think somebody's kid here did once, I heard, ate a grasshopper, but over there, they'll eat grasshoppers. And they're, they're, they're making a comparison there. We're just as small as that grasshopper, and people eat them. And they say, we're grasshoppers in their sight. They're just going to be picking us up. They give this picture. They're going to be picking us up by the handful and munching on us like they're going to be potato chips in their hands. And that's the picture they're starting to paint. And so think about how does that apply to us. So when we start looking at ourselves, at our own ability, at our past, at our family tree, where does that take you to? Where does that lead you to? The next step is obvious. You're going to end up like them. This is the way it's always been, and this is the way it'll always be. My dad died of cancer. I guess I will, too. It just runs in the family. But is that what the Bible teaches? No. <laughs> it really doesn't. So, you know, somebody says, stop being angry because you got an anger issue. And they're just like, you don't know. I've always had a bad temper. <laughs> and I've tried to control it, but it's a monster. It's an anic that just controls me. And my whole family has had bad tempers. You know, it might be a good time to just kind of stop that spirit and come against it right then and claim deliverance if that is the case. See, so somebody say it's just a DNA in our DNA. It's just a, a, a giant that is controlling us. Or stop lusting. Somebody would say, I can't. I can't stop lusting. It's these thoughts in my head are giant strongholds that it just feels like I'm shooting little rubber arrows at them to try to get it to stop. And they just bounce off. And lust just laughs at me. And I give in every time. So let me say, I don't, everyone here has a different issue. And so what are the giants in your life? You know, sickness, is it sickness, depression, poverty, drugs, alcohol, loneliness, and the list could go on. So when the problem is all you can see in your own ability to conquer it, then look what we have here. Here's, here's the steps that take place. In Numbers 14, it goes on to say there's a progression that takes here, a process. When a person loses sight of God and his power and his promises. And so look what we have here. In Numbers 14, it says, And all the congregation lifted up their voice after they hear this evil report. They lift up their voice and they cried and they wept all night. 
And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said unto them, Oh, would to God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness? Well, why has God brought us into this land? To fall by the sword that our wives and our children should be a prey? Wasn't it better for us to just return unto Egypt? And they said one to another, Let us make a captain, and let us return to Egypt. So what's the first step that happens when you hear that evil report and you're overwhelmed? It's despair, isn't it? It says they left, lifted up their voices and they wept all night. They are despairing. They thought something was going to happen. This promise would be fulfilled. And now it seems like it's not based on this report. And they just are despairing about their situation. And what does, does despair lead to? Well, the next step is complaining in verse 2. We see that. They say, would to God. They're complaining about where he's brought them. Would to God we just had died in the wilderness or in Egypt. And after that, then you start getting resentful. Why has is, why is he put me in this situation? They say, wherefore, verse 3, wherefore has the Lord brought us into this land? Why has he done this to us? They're resenting him now. And then the last step is, and this is the final step, is a person gets to that point and doesn't do anything about it, and they will forsake the Lord. And that's what they're saying there. Is they said, wherefore, let us make a captain and let us return to Egypt. And so what are they doing with that? They're turning their back on God because that's not where God's taking them, and that's not where God's presence is anymore. So they're forsaking the Lord and going back to the world. And that's the progression. You know, people despair. God made a promise. And it just doesn't seem like it's going to happen, and my problems are just too great. And they start despairing. Oh, my hopes were up, but it's just, I, I'm just convinced now it's not going to happen. And it leads to despair. And then they start complaining. You know, why am I always in the midst of this trial? My life is miserable. Because they just have lost their hope. Then they start resenting things. Well, I, you know, I thought God loved me, but all I get from him is trouble in my life. That's all he seems to bring. And then they forsake God. They'll be like, you know, I've tried this Christian walk. I've tried to walk and trust the Lord. It just isn't for me. It may be for other people, but it just isn't for me. And they go off somewhere else. And that's a sad end. And you say, well, that's understandable. I felt that way. But let me ask you, does God feel that way about what they said? So we're in Numbers 14, so look down in verse 27. And it says this. God says, when he hears what they say, how long shall I bear with this evil congregation which murmur against me? I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel which they murmur against me. And you say unto them, as truly as I live, saith the Lord, as you have spoken in my ears, so will I do to you. Your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness. And all that were numbered of you, according to your whole number, from twenty years old and upward, which have murmured against me, doubtless... You shall not come into this land concerning which I swear to make you dwell therein except for two people, save Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. And then look over in verse 36. And the men which Moses, now here's the, that's the people's judgment. Here's the men, the spies' judgment. And the men which Moses sent to search the land who returned and made all the congregation to murmur against him by bringing up a slander upon the land, even these men that did bring up the evil report upon the land, they died by the plague before the Lord. 
But Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were of the men that went to search the land, they lived still. And Moses told these sayings unto all the children of the Israel. And guess what? They realized, uh-oh, I think we made a big mistake. And it said they mourned greatly, doesn't it? They mourned greatly. So bringing back a false report, <laughs> as the spies did, guess what happened? That report came back on their head. Because they said this land is going to devour its inhabitants, and God said, you will be devoured. You gave an evil report, well, that evil report's coming right back on you. And that's what happened to them. And the spies died of a plague right away. Immediately they died. And the people who believed the report, because they had heard all the words from Moses where God had promised to give them that land, they died a slow death of 40 years. So let me just ask you, do you think God just put this here for an interesting history lesson? I don't think so. You know, is our case different? But let me say this, if I could. This isn't in my notes, but it's something I've been thinking about. Here's one thing. So these people where it's not like they had never seen anything happen with the Lord, right? Because they had seen his miracles, his love in bringing them out of that land and his miraculous power all through Egypt, hadn't he? They'd walked through the parting of the Red Sea. So they had no excuse. And I think God makes exceptions with people. I think sometimes we've gotten to a place where we're just not confident in his power. And I think God will deal with us in a gracious way that way. But here's the thing. There's still no excuse for not believing his promises in his word, is there? There's never an excuse for that. And so we've got to say, let's get back to that place. Where as a church, as individuals, we have confidence that God's power will come through for us. And we have no reason to go any other way, right? That's what I think we need, to, we need to get to. And I think God, honestly, I do believe God will bring us to that place. But here's the thing. Can you see through what we're reading, though, that it is a very serious thing, very serious. There's no excuse for not trusting the promises of God. Now, God said, in another place, he said, hey, I put up with them, and I, he still didn't cast them off. They didn't lose the fire in the pillar at night, and he still took care of them for those 40 years because it says he is gracious, and our God is willing to pardon. So if you've missed it, it is no reason to be discouraged and give up and think you're just going to have to wander 40 years. I mean, have you had that word from the Lord? Has he spoken to you and say, it's all over, you're just going to wander and perish? I haven't had that word. I haven't heard that word for anyone in here. So we need to realize our God is gracious and it's no time to quit. It really isn't. But like I said, it still is serious because in Hebrews, God says of these people in Hebrews 3.11, he says, I swore in my wrath that these ones will not enter into my rest. He was hot because they had no excuse. And right after that, in Hebrews 3.12, after 3.11, he says that we, speaking to us, the church, take heed, brethren, the writer of Hebrews says, lest there be in any of you, that's any of us, an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. So listen, if you missed it, that doesn't mean your heart's departed from the living God, but we need to be careful, don't we? That we don't take his promises lightly. We do. 
In verse 18, it says, And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not. And he goes on in chapter 4, after talking about this some more, and this is my word to us. He says, let us labor. And that word labor means to make every effort. We've got to make every, so if you're behind where you know you should be, make every effort, he says, to enter into that rest. Just make whatever effort you have to be to get back there. It may not happen overnight, lest any man fail after they're the same example of unbelief. So it's given there for us an example. And he says, so labor to get to where you're not following their example. Is that what we're going to do? <laughs> amen. All amen for you. Because <laughs> that word unbelief there means <laughs> obstinate opposition to the divine will. That's somebody, that, that's what they said. They said, we're not able and we're not going in. They refused. And that's where you're going to be in trouble. So you can't live a constant life saying, I refuse to be trusting the Lord for anything just because it's difficult. You got to start somewhere, don't you? You really do. <laughs> and you'll find out that you'll start seeing God's faithfulness in your own life. You don't have to wait for the rest of us. And it'll encourage you to take the next step and the next step. And that's what it's all about, isn't it? Because unlike somebody just sent me a thing, this guy's saying faith doesn't grow. We all get the perfect faith. I'm like, wow, where was I at? Because... <laughs> I had to send about three scriptures that faith increases, it grows. There's like, what are you talking about? Yeah, it grows and increases through experiencing God's faithfulness. Amen. And that's what we need, it will. So they refused to believe what God had said. They said, we're not going in, we don't have any power. And then, you know what they do? So he tells them in the wilderness, hey, you're not, that's it. You ain't going in, you're going to die in that water. It's like, okay, we're ready to go in now. But here's the problem with that. Say so you're thinking you've missed it. Man, I've been doing things I know I shouldn't do, so I'm just going to throw it all away, and I'm going to try. Well, you know what he told them? You can't do that at this point. You're not ready now. Because he said, you, you go on and do that. You go on and throw your medicine away or whatever because you think, and he's saying, he told them, you go on into that land like I told you, and you knew you should have. And he says, but this, I won't be with you this time. And they, they did it anyways. So at that point, we've got to go in when we know it's in our heart that God's with us, not to try to make up something to God and prove ourselves to him, right? That's dangerous. That's presumptuous. They were presumptuously doing that. God had already said, I'm not going to be with you in that. It's not your time yet. And they're like, we're going up in there anyways. And the ones that did that, they died. So what's the reason? I want to get to what is the reason, though, that they are wandering? And this is the heart of the matter. Numbers 32.11 says this, God says, Surely none of the men that came up out of Egypt from 20 years old and upward shall see the land which I swear unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob. And listen to what the Lord told the men, the people. He said, The reason is, is because they have not wholly followed me. That was their problem. And that is the heart of the issue. They were not willing to wholly follow me. The Lord. And I would say that should be the basis of our Christianity, shouldn't it? That should be the start, the middle, and the finish. And if for whatever, whatever reason it gets to where that's not the way you're walking with the Lord, you're going to have problems if you're not wholly following the Lord because there is no other way to follow Him. <laughs> so He just said, I, I quote this a lot, Luke 14, He said, If any man comes to me, and this is Jesus' evangelism. This is a good place to start if you're going to evangelize somebody. 
Because why do you want to get somebody in the kingdom that they have not given all their life to the Lord Jesus Christ? They'll fall somewhere down the road. You're not doing them a favor. And Jesus said, I'm not, I'm not going to deceive you. I'm going to tell you right now, you want to follow me? I'm not going to turn you away, but you need to understand the conditions. And the conditions are you need to be willing to forsake everything in your life, even your own life, your children, your job, whatever it is. If you aren't willing to do that, he says, you cannot. It's a word of impossibility. Be my disciple. It won't work because God deserves our total loyalty. He really does. If any man come to me and hate, not his father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yea, and his own life also, Jesus said, he cannot be my disciple. And he went on to say, whosoever he be of you that forsakes not all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. And so what is faith? What is the faith that Caleb was able to use, that he was willing to go in and take that land? It's the old forsaking all I trust him. He's saying, I'm, I'm going to put my life in my hands because I believe God is faithful and I'm going to go fight these people I'm seeing, even if they see more number, bigger cities, the Anakins are big. But God is faithful and I will forsake all to trust him. And isn't that what Jesus says in Luke 14? And that is what faith is. Forsaking all, I trust him. And in contrast to that is what God said of the men of Israel. They have not Holy, follow me. But look, so are we still here in Numbers, everyone? Okay, so look what he says, though, of Caleb in contrast to these people. Look in Numbers 14, 24. We'll start in 23. God says, Surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. But look what he says about Caleb, verse 24. But my servant Caleb, ah, because he had another spirit with him, the Holy Spirit, and has followed me how? Fully, it says. Him, he says, him will I bring into the land wherein he went, and his seed shall possess it. And that is a promise that God gave to Caleb through Moses. Right there. So if you would now, I want to turn to talk about this man, Caleb. So we've looked at the negative side of things, but I want to look at the positive life of Caleb. So if you would turn to Joshua 14. Joshua 14, beginning in verse 6, it says, Then the children of Judah came unto Joshua in Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, the Kenzanite said unto him, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God, concerning me and thee and Kadesh Barnea. Forty years old, he says, was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to espy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in mine heart. Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me, they made the heart of the people melt. But, he says, what? I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land wherein thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance and thy children's forever. And it's here again, because you have fully, wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, he said, these forty-five years. Even since the Lord spake this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, lo, I am this day... 
45 years old, 85 years old, I'm sorry, four score and five years. And as yet, I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me. As my strength was then, even so is my strength now for war, both to go out and to come in. And now, therefore, he says, give me this mountain whereof the Lord spake in that day, for thou heardest in that day how the Anakims were there, and that the cities were great and fenced. If so be, the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him, and gave unto Caleb the son of Jephunneh Hebron for an inheritance. And Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb the son of Jephunneh, the Kenzanite, unto this day. One more time we're going to hear it, because that he wholly Followed the Lord God of Israel. Six times in the Old Testament, it says that Caleb wholly followed the Lord. That's a lot of times for one man, isn't it? And three of the times here we have in Joshua 14. I mean, let's read them again in verse 8. Verse 8, he says, But I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses said he would get that land at verse 9 at the end because thou hast fully, wholly followed the Lord thy God. And then back down in verse 14 it says because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. So let me ask you a question. How many people do that? How many people did that? Two, wasn't it? Out of a million men. Doesn't sound like real good odds, does it? Two out of a million men. Well, let me ask you, you know, you know why I think he was willing to? It's because he had his spiritual eyes opened by the Lord, and he saw something that none of the rest of them saw. So he's watching this exodus take place, and he's, he knows, he's, he's back there with them when they're stomping bricks and being oppressed and under affliction, and the people are groaning up to heaven, and the groan comes before the Lord, and he says, in your affliction I was afflicted. And so he sees that God in his love reached down. He sees God's love. Didn't just leave them there, did he? And then he sees this God of love has the power to deliver his people by these judgments that take place. Awesome power. So he's saying, I, this God that Moses is telling us about, the great I am, is a God that loves us as his people. He's made promises to us. He's got the power to deliver us, unlike these other gods. He totally put down the gods of Egypt. The greatest nation at that time. All of those judgments represented the gods they worshipped. And God crushed them all. That's what that's all about. And he also sees, though, that this God is a God of holiness and judgment. Because he judged the wicked Egyptians, didn't he? Swallowed them up in the sea. And so he's seeing this about this God. And I think that that is the revelation you need to have. See this God. It's only a revelation God can give you. You see who he is. And then you can give your heart to wholly follow a God like that, can't you? You can. But if you've got doubts about him, you're going to have trouble. Doubts about his love for you. Doubt about his power for you. And that's what I think happened to Ruth. You know, you think about Ruth. Why was she willing to follow Naomi? And she says, your people will be my people and your God will be my God. How was that? She'd never been to Israel. She grew up in a heathen land. And yet Naomi must have been sharing with her things about the Exodus, things about God's faithfulness to their nation. And she's getting a picture of what's there, and she's like, that's the God I want to serve. 
And God opened her eyes to see that supernaturally because nobody follows the Lord because they think it's a good idea. God has to open our minds and hearts to see him and put that in us, doesn't he? And that starts with the new birth because we are spiritually dead to start. So you're saying, I don't have a heart to follow the Lord. That's because you're dead. You can't help it. And so you need to cry out to the Lord. <laughs> He'll reveal himself to you. If you do that, he will. So is it necessary? I, I just quoted, is it necessary to wholly follow the Lord? I just quoted Luke 14. I think, I think it sounds, he said it's absolutely necessary. And listen to Luke 13, verses 23 to 28. They come to Jesus. Remember how many? It was two out of a million were saved. And they're asking Jesus. They come to him and they said, Lord, are there few that be saved? And what was his answer? Quit worrying about the numbers. It's an imperative you. He says, you need to strive. You need to agonize. You need to do whatever you can to wholly follow me and look to me in my grace to keep you and not be presumptuous. He says, his answer to them was, strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. And why not? Because they have not wholly followed the Lord. Well, let me ask you, why can't we be like Caleb? Why can't we as a church, why can't everyone in here be like Caleb? Why can't we wholly follow the Lord? Is he some kind of special person? You're like, well, that's Caleb. That's the hero Caleb or whatever. I can't be like Paul. That's not what the Bible teaches. Because I'll tell you, what's holding us back? I'm telling you, it's not, it's not the Father. It's not Jesus isn't hold, holding us back because what did Jesus say? Come unto me, didn't he? He said, anyone that comes to me, I will in no wise cast you out. So you can't say, well, man, I just don't think I'm one of the elect. Well, can you believe a promise? He says, if you're being drawn to him, he says, I will in no wise cast you out. Come to him then if you're bothered. He won't turn you down. And he also cries out, if any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. The well is open to anyone in this room. And listen, God pleads in Proverbs 23, 26. My son, give me thine heart. He's pleading with us. Give, give him your heart. Like a father would speak to a son. In New Testament, Barnabas and Acts, when they heard that, that the word had come, he came to the people and it says Acts 11.23, he encouraged them all that with purpose of heart to remain true to the Lord. And that word means to cling like saran wrap, remain true to the Lord. And that's what we've got to do. We've got to follow him and cling to him like saran wrap. <laughs> we need him that desperately. Because here's the thing, when you've committed yourself and your heart to the Lord, I'm telling you by the word of God, well, I'll quote this verse, you all know it. He is happy to bless you with his presence and power. And to help you through. Listen, you all know this one, Second Chronicles 16, 9, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is completely his or devoted to him, is what it says in the Hebrew. That ought to be a good incentive, wouldn't it? He's looking for people like that. And cry out to him to make you one of them. He'll do it. <laughs> how would you like the Lord to look on your life and say hey you know you, you're living a life pleasing to me I want to manifest myself to you 
Wouldn't you like that? Man, I would. I'm not going to embarrass people by looking and asking at them. So I just say, just determine tonight by the grace of God that you're going to do that, to give him your whole heart and quit holding back. Because then, I mean, according to the Bible, again, we've got to stick with what the Bible says, right? When you do that, faith is not a problem. Really, usually faith isn't the issue. It's sin of some kind. It's the problem. Because he says this in 1 John 3, 21 and 22, Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence towards God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. So let's wholly follow the Lord, church. So the second thing I want to see here, we're, we're still in Joshua, I think, aren't we? Joshua 14, look in verses 10 to 11. Because he held on to what God had promised him, Caleb did. So look here in verses 10 to 11. It says, And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, he says, as he said, these forty and five years, even since the Lord spake this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, lo, I am this day eighty-five years old, and as yet I am as strong this day as I went, was in the day that Moses sent me, as my strength was then, even though, so my strength now for war, both to go out and to come in. Therefore, give me this mountain. So after 45 years, Caleb, it's amazing. He is as zealous for what God has promised him as day one. 45 years, he kept that zeal burning. And if you think about it, think about what he had to put up with. He had already, at the beginning of all those years there in that wilderness, he was one of the spies, wasn't he? And guess what he saw? His own land. He'd seen it. He'd walked it. He'd seen what it was like. It tasted its fruit, and he was ready to get it then, wasn't he? Caleb didn't want to have to wait for it. It was in his heart, I'm going up there and getting what God has given me. He wanted it then. But guess what? Because of the unbelief of the people, you know what he had to do? And this is where faith sometimes has to endure, doesn't it? He had to endure because of them for 45 years. 45 years he had to wander with them knowing what God had promised him and what he was willing to get. So sometimes faith has to endure, doesn't it? See that promise and say, okay, Lord, it will happen in your time. And it just wasn't his time. So true faith will wait on God's timing, won't it? Because as we've been taught here faithfully, faith has nothing to do with time. Don't we know that still? That's an old principle, but it's still true. So Abraham, 25 years for his son. Noah, 120 years. He was warned. For 120 years, he had to exercise faith in something he had never seen. And then it finally came. And Caleb waited 45 years. And most people, a lot of people, can't wait 45 minutes. And panic sets in. So Jesus cursed, as we know, that fig tree. And it didn't wither immediately, did it? And was he worried? I don't think he had a sleepless night. That's just me, having sleepless nights. So Mark 24, it just says, when you pray, that's when you believe you received it. It's done. And he says, you shall have it, and that is in God's timing. So, you know, the old illustration, there are a lot of the brothers here read Bevington in a group study they were having. And I always thought this was a good illustration of faith. And so he prays for seats and an organ for an evangelistic meeting he's having. And so he's in there cleaning up the place, and a guy comes in there and asks what's going on, and Bevington says, well, we're getting ready to have a revival meeting here. The guy's like, well, that's great. You got benches? 
And so here's his faith speaking. He says, oh, yeah, I got benches. And the guy's like, all right, where are they? I'll help you. I'll bring them on in for you. And Bevington says, well, this was just a guy that didn't know anything about faith. And he's trying to explain to him Mark 11, 24, and 1 John 5, 14, and 15. And the guy just didn't get it. <laughs> he didn't know what faith was, that you have it when you pray. And Bevington felt like a fool, he said. But he held on to God's promises. And here, guess what, of course, the benches came. And they didn't come because he hinted around, went out and got a loan, hit people up for money. He just let the Lord know, didn't he? He let the Lord work it out. And I'll tell you, when we do that with things we're trusting the Lord for, don't make our needs known. And then when we get blessed, I mean, man, that is an encouragement, isn't it? It really is. It always has been for me because I'm like, only God could do that. I didn't, make, I didn't tell anybody else about that. So like Caleb and Noah and Abraham and George Mueller and Bevington, we do what? We hold on, don't we? And like Jesus, should have put him first, shouldn't I? Didn't mean not to. So the last thing I want to see is, uh, but, so there is a thing of endurance to our faith. He had to wait the 45 years. But I also think there is a, a time when we need to boldly take what God has promised. So look, that's what happens here. Look, we'll read again verse 11 and 12. And now he says, I'm as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me as my strength was then. Even so is my strength now for war, both to go out and to come in. And he says, now, now, therefore, give me this mountain whereof the Lord spake unto me in that day. He's saying, hey, I'm willing to endure 45 years, but it's now I'm ready to take it. The endurance, it's time to boldly take what God has given me, his rightful possession. And so how do you know when that is? How do you know when it's something that you should endure or it's a time you need to press in? Well, I'm telling you, that's why we have the Holy Spirit, isn't it? There, there is, I can't sit here and give you a formula, but it's just something you're going to know in your spirit. And one time I went to a pretty... Serious physical trial, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to be like Bevington, and I'm going to try to walk on a leg I can't walk on. I kept falling down in agony, and it's like God spoke to me. He said, you can't force this to happen. It will happen in my time and way, and I realized that. I can't do what someone else did or try to act my faith. I mean, it's got to be between you and the Lord. That's what our walk is all about, isn't it? And we have the Holy Spirit, and you see different ways blind people are healed, and Jesus didn't have just one method to use, did he? And so today, it's not going to be just one method. And so we need to learn to walk with the Lord and learn to walk with the Holy Spirit guiding us. Because what if he tried to go off on his own and take that possession by himself? It wouldn't have worked. What if he said, I'm tired of being in this wilderness after 20 years. I know I can get that. It wouldn't have worked, would it? There was a time. But a time came. And he says, hey, he got the green light with, from the Lord. And guess what? When he got that green light, he is like a bulldog with a bone. I'm getting hold of this. I am not letting go. That's the way he was. And I tell you, give me this mountain now. I'm getting it. I'm going to go take it. The waiting's over. He knew that inside. And God likes that kind of faith. So Mark 15 and Matthew 15 and Mark 7, it talks about the Syrophoenician woman. A Gentile and her daughter, it says she was cruelly demon possessed or horribly demon possessed is what it says in the Greek. It's a bad case. And the Bible says she cries out with a loud voice, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon possessed. 
Here is a woman, she's seen this go on with her daughter for how long? It's like time to end, is what she's saying. And it said that Jesus, what did he do? It says he answered her not a word. Not a word. And is it because he didn't care? Was he getting hard of hearing? Or was he prejudiced against Gentiles? No, that wasn't the case at all. This was a test for her, wasn't it? She's going to press in. And the disciples, they're like, man, would you just send her away? This woman is embarrassing, embarrassing us. And Jesus answered her, and he said, well, I'm only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. And she just, she doesn't give up. She's like that bold all with the bone. She just says, Lord, help me. Because she saw he, he is her only help for her daughter. She knew that. And she said, I'm not letting go of you, and you're not going to get me away. It wouldn't matter what he said to her. And so his next answer, well, it's not proper to give the children's bread and cast it to dogs. And she's like, I'm not asking for a whole piece of bread. All I want is a crumb. <laughs> That'll work. And so what was his final answer to her? Oh, woman, great is thy faith. You're not going to quit because things got a little tough. Or you think, I'm not interested in you. She saw, he is it. He's the answer. There is no other answer. And she says, I'm not leaving. Great is thy faith. Be, be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And so both of them saying, you've got what I need and I want what is mine. Give me this mountain. I'm not going to be discouraged. And I don't know how many, how many of you have seen that Jim Cimbala movie, uh, My House Shall Be Called a House of Prayer. Nobody? Well, we're going to have to show that. But anyways, in that movie, he gives a testimony about that his daughter had backslidden. And she's off into drugs, and so, of course, he prayed for her to be brought back, and he patiently endured for months, maybe longer. And he said he cried, he confessed, he trusted God. And he's just like, you know, I've just had to leave it in the Lord's hands. He's, he's enduring by faith. But he said they, always, they have a Tuesday night prayer meeting at that church, the Brooklyn Tabernacle. And pretty much the whole church comes and then some. And he said, but here that night, it was both that, getting that bone night for him and his daughter. And it's like God anointed that prayer service and they went after it. And he said the sound of it was like a woman giving birth. He goes, I don't know. But he said, I knew that it happened then, that she, it was done. And she's back to his house. I believe it was the next day. I, I believe that's right. Crying at his feet. Because that is when she pressed in by faith. And how do you know when to do it? The Holy Spirit brought it on them, Amen. on that congregation. That's right. And it happened. Amen. And so there's a time that that needs to be what happens. What did Jesus say? He says in Matthew 11, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, doesn't it? Christianity is not for cowards. It isn't. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent will take it by force. And that's what we need to do sometimes, isn't it? We got problems in here that they can't endure for 40 years. We won't be around. So sometimes we got to press in. And sometimes you got to fast to press in. And we want revival here. I've had to study revival. And I'm telling you, there has never been a revival take place in the history of the church that wasn't preceded by fasting and prayer. Now, fasting obviously can be a work, it can, if not done for the right motive. But, because the Pharisees did it, right? He's proud about the fact he's fasted, the wrong motive. We're not talking about that. 
Well, you got to deal with the fact that Jesus said when you fast in the Sermon on the Mount, not if. Right? <laughs> and what are you doing? What is a person doing? All they're saying is, God, I need you. It's not trying to earn something from him. You're like, I need you. I'm afflicting myself to let you know if you don't come through, I'm done. I just need you that bad. And we need to be doing that for situations that we know of and, and things in our own life. So sometimes, I mean, God's promises, they are all freely given, aren't they? And they're always available for us, but they must be taken by faith. And sometimes it is a violent taking that has to take place. A bloody battle, so to speak, right? Because what did Paul say in 1 Timothy? He says, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were called. You've got to grasp it. And so here's Caleb, 85 years old. He is willing to go after what God has given him and promised him. And it's now is the time. Doesn't matter he's an old man. He didn't have all that strength naturally. It's the Holy Spirit in him, right? Ripe old age. Strength hadn't diminished in 45 years. God supernaturally strengthened him. And what does he say? If God is with me, I will drive them out. It gets back to what I said at the beginning. That's what we need to know, isn't it? That God is with us. Then anything can happen. That's what I told Jamie today. You know the presence of God is with you, then anything can happen. It really can. So no matter what our age, you know, we, we need to wholly follow the Lord like Caleb and hold fast to his word, don't we? Be filled with the power of his spirit, and we need to be willing to fight for our possessions and not just lay down, don't we? If you're going through a struggle... There's no, there's no thing about calling other people to help you. There's no magic in prayer. I'm not talking magic like the other day, please. All I'm saying, it's not some kind of magic, you know. I got all these people praying for me. That, that may not mean a thing. You still have to exercise faith. But there is nothing wrong with having people praying with you in faith, is what I'm saying. Not just you got all these people praying and nobody's believing a thing. So that's not getting you anywhere. That's my point. That's all I'm trying to say, right? But let us know you got issues. And we got people here that'll pray. And we do that. We walk that way. We walk like Caleb. We too will be able to say to the Lord, give me this mountain Amen. as you promised it to me. Amen. Amen. I'm done. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Okay, let's, let's pray. Father, we just thank you for the encouragement that you've given us from your word tonight and we just ask you I just ask you Lord that everybody here that in the sound of my voice that including myself Lord that you'll just give us a heart like Caleb a heart that is wholly following you so that we can see the manifestation of your presence and power in our lives and in our church for your glory and then it'll just re resound to praise to you the heavenly father that has loved us and blessed us and manifested his presence to us in healing deliverance and freedom and joy that's what we want to see lord and i just ask that you'll put that on all of our hearts and we can just carry that with us and we thank you for meeting us here tonight and we do that in jesus name amen